At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. Quote, the emperor has no clothes. No, not me. Congressman Don Bacon, Republican of Nebraska, as Trump was arrested for the second time in 70 days. Quote, the Espionage Act has been used to go after traitors and spies. Again, not me. Trump, last night after prosecutors let him turn yesterday into one long campaign ad. Quote, I certainly won't support a convicted felon for the White House. Also not me. Republican Congressman Ken Buck of Colorado, Freedom Caucus member, signatory to the Texas amicus brief coup attempt, who 10 days ago said the investigations and the lawsuits and the arrests almost gave Trump credibility and he didn't care, but who yesterday changed sides like Nikki Haley did, like Tim Scott did, like a trickle of other key Republicans have. It may stop here. If it does not stop here, it may stop Trump. He hid documents, Buck said yesterday, as Trump officially became the man who has not only been impeached more times than he has been elected, but has now been arrested more times than he has been elected as well. Purposely putting them in a shower, purposely putting them on a stage, so there clearly is an intent to hide Congressman Buck went further yet. I would not feel comfortable with a convicted felon in the White House. Buck went even further than that. Let's just look at Donald Trump's words in 2016. He said that Hillary Clinton was unfit for the White House because of the way she handled classified information. I think his words have set the standard that America will look at in determining whether he is fit for president. Unquote. Republican. I hesitate to even hope that this is where enough of the GOP breaks to split the party. But the last two days have shown what such a split would look like. And it is along two simple fault lines. Both conceits are wildly untrue, but the Republican Party thinks of itself as the party of law and order and the party of absolute prioritization of the military, and what has been obvious to the rest of us for eight years is suddenly obvious to many in the GOP. Trump believes neither in law and order nor in the military. Trump believes only in himself. If that realization continues to spread, they may actually thwart him. For Congressman Bacon, none of this is new. Endorsed by Trump, Trump apologist, then thrown overboard by Trump. And as Trump was being arraigned, he said, quote, I think it's obvious what the president did was wrong, and we just got to be honest. 
I just think the emperor has no clothes and we need to have some Republicans stand up and say that. I think Republicans have always stood on the rule of law. We can't walk away from that. Think of that term rule of law as a brand name and it will be easier to digest what I am putting out here. Mike Pompeo, who we can still see standing there smugly in a time of American crisis, insisting there would be a smooth transition to a second Trump term. But yesterday on Fox, Pompeo, quote, Trump had classified documents when he shouldn't have had them. And when given the opportunity to return them, he chose not to do that. That's inconsistent with protecting America's soldiers, sailors, airmen and Marines. He left out the wax. Two days, two former key members of the Trump government saying Trump endangered the soldiers. Again, this could be the last we ever hear of that. But it also could be your Rubicon. Republicans having to choose between the law and the troops or the Trump. Even Haley, when she predictably tried to back away from her accusation Monday that Trump had endangered the troops only backed up and did not back out yesterday. She talked about pardoning him after a conviction. From many angles, that's even worse. Republican Congressman Dan Crenshaw, it's very problematic, he said. There's a reason I'm not defending it. That's all I'll say about it. Republican Congressman Tim Burchett, the weird one with the beard. Would you support Trump after conviction? No, honestly, on the surface, I wouldn't. That doesn't look good. Republican Congressman Dan Newhouse, no one is above the law. They are all trying to walk a tightrope that may or may not be tied to anything on the other end. And every one of their anti-Trump sentences comes attached to an attack on Biden or Hillary Clinton or the DOJ. Fine. That's not the point right now. General run-of-the-mill 2008 Republican paranoia at holier-than-thou bleedings about the military and law and order. That looks surprisingly palatable at the moment. And by the way, that tightrope, whether or not it's connected to anything, is getting pretty damn crowded. Buck. Bacon. Crenshaw, Burchett, Newhouse, Haley, Tim Scott, Romney, Murkowski, Thune, Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, hell, Mick Mulvaney, one of his chiefs of staff, yesterday said, I think the chances of a guilty verdict are very high, and the chances of real jail time are pretty high. And the interviewer asked, how long in jail for Trump do you think? And Mulvaney said, quote, at his age, it doesn't really make much difference, right? Happy birthday, Trumper. I mean, can you imagine the headlines if a Democrat had said that, had implied that any jail time for Donald Trump means, you know, he'll die in prison? Mick Mulvaney, you have unsuspected depth. Of course, you can only imagine the headlines if a Democrat had said that, because here it is again. President Biden has ordered radio silence on the indictment, and I have not been able to figure out who treated the defendant like Queen Elizabeth yesterday in Miami, but the deference was nauseating. Anybody else would have been denied bail. And he wasn't even addressed as the defendant. He was called the former president. No cameras, no audio. Reporters could not even text from the courtroom. And the difference sounds all tidy and diplomatic, and yet... Besides the difference, there's a deference, and it is interpreted by his defenders as fear, naked fear. From Politico on the Democratic response to Trump and the indictment, which is namely, there isn't any, quote, Biden and his top aides have taken a vow of silence on the federal indictment of his predecessor, Donald Trump, and have explicitly ordered the entities that the White House controls, which includes the re-election campaign and the Democratic National Committee, are not to publicly discuss any of the criminal investigations into Trump. Those closest to the president are deeply wary of any perception that Biden is trying to influence the investigations. Unquote. 
because the fact that Biden will be treated as if he is on the phone directing every second of this process 24-7, whether he does it or not, is not just presumed on the right. It is the starting point of every fascist attack on this process. And the president is going to pretend it isn't. Instead of saying, what the hell? You're going to believe the worst of me anyway. Let me get at him. I'm going to kick him while he's down. Repeatedly. More from Politico. Quote, that decision has some Democrats and allies worried that Biden could miss a chance to underscore the seriousness of the national moment as well as deliver a political blow to his top White House rival. You think? I mean, it is as if Abraham Lincoln and the Republicans of 1864 sat around one day at the desk and decided it would be inappropriate to mention that, you know, if the country votes for George McClellan instead of for Abe, that they're going to immediately sign a peace treaty with the South and, you know, reinstate slavery. Abe is deeply wary of any perception that he is trying to influence the investigations of the, you know, secessionist traitors. Concurrent with this madness is the recognition provided by the perspective of finally seeing Trump indicted and arraigned even at this late date, a perspective that as spectacularly outlined by Eric Levitz in New York Magazine, that there was political interference in the prosecution of Trump, that the Department of Justice and presumably somebody in the White House did interfere to try to prevent Trump from being prosecuted. Quoting Levitz, as late as January 2022, the Justice Department was still giving Trump the opportunity to avoid charges by returning the documents he had taken. The indictment released last week makes this point clear. As Levitz notes, Trump returned 197 stolen documents then. He was charged on none of them. None. Just like Pence wasn't charged. Just like Biden will not be charged. To the extent that political considerations influenced the DOJ's handling of the case, Levitz writes, they led the department to extend Trump extraordinary opportunities to extricate himself from legal peril so as to avoid the politically inflammatory spectacle of his prosecution. As Mick Mulvaney said in that same interview where he forecast Trump dying in prison, he compared the Trump documents to the Pence and Biden documents and said, quote, they gave them back. And oh, by the way, what exactly has that spectacle, that politically inflammatory spectacle of his prosecution been so far? 300 people showed up at the courthouse yesterday, maybe 400. And the city of Miami was ready for 50,000. And the Carrie Leak prediction was 300 million. And all day I was waiting for Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer to show up on my TV and announce it was 300 million, period. I hope I am not conveying anything resembling Pollyanna here. The small crowd at the courthouse is still about 25 times bigger than the small crowd of Republicans who have scurried back aboard the good ship reality. The American news media is also still pliant, gullible. It's not even close to being haunted by memories of 2016 or 2020 or last freaking week. Though the improvement in CNN post Chris Licht was immediate when CNN decided not to run Trump's remarks at Bedminster last night live. The effect of the paste clears out of the system quickly, I believe. But still, where is the enterprise? Where is the daring? Where is the simple nerve of Sophie Alexander, the international affairs producer for the UK's Sky News on assignment in Miami yesterday? You saw this? You didn't see this? As Trump is doing the carefully staged man of the people bit, the same act from the day that he threw those rolls of paper towels to the drowning residents of Puerto Rico, Trump hops into the Cuban hangout, the Versailles Bakery, and all Sophie Alexander of Sky News did was to shout above the crowd a question at Trump. And the question was, are you ready to go to jail? President Trump, are you ready to go to jail? President Trump! Get the fuck out of here. 
She's just a producer. She's not even on the air. A producer. You think you're going to get that from Andrea Mitchell? From Chuck Todd? Chuck Todd would have said, Mr. Trump, some people say that it's an important question to ask. Are you ready to go to... Sophie Alexander, Sky News. Hey, David Zaslav, I think I found your new CEO of CNN. Hell, have her do that and host at 9 o'clock. Name an American reporter at any venue in any medium who, A, gets inside that bakery, B, has absolutely no concern about disturbing the Trump narrative, and C, does not give a good goddamn what they think of her or what they threaten to do to her for asking that question. And yes, she's fine. But they did throw her out of the bakery. Leave the phone, take the cannoli. Okay, there is old business on the Trump front to clear up here. You may have heard New York State Attorney General Tish James say the federal prosecution of Trump will take precedence over hers. The quote was, in all likelihood, I believe that my case, as well as D.A. Bragg and the Georgia case, will unfortunately have to be adjourned pending the outcome of the federal case. Can't and won't argue with her knowledge of her own case, but there are no indications thus far that Bragg has slowed down his prosecution of Trump, nor conceded any adjournment or delay. And as to the Fonnie Willis electoral interference case in Georgia, not only is there no evidence that she is deferring to Jack Smith's schedule, but the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports now that one of the people in that crowd of three or four hundred around the Miami courthouse for yesterday's arraignment was an Atlanta police official quote, closely monitoring the security procedures that city used to protect the world from the Trump mob. You know, just in case they indict Trump in Atlanta. Month after next. Also, though the Miami event was a landmark, it was nowhere near the end of the road for the special counsel. As Trump was being treated with kid gloves he did not deserve, Jack Smith's Washington grand jury Heard from the chairman and the vice chairman of the Nevada GOP, Michael McDonald and Jim DeGraffenreed, two of that state's fake electors. And speaking of fake, in the mirror image world of the House Republican Caucus, which stays up nights trying to make up stuff it can claim Biden did, that Trump really did, the latest twist in the Chuck Grassley, Jamie Comer Ponzi scheme. Oh, there's a lead about an FBI document, but it's hidden and it's redacted. And it's from a confidential source reportedly quoting a rumored whistleblower. Well, the new hint is Grassley says the hidden document says that the informant has 17 audio tapes of Joe and Hunter Biden talking about $5 million bribes. And of course, none of this has come out. None of it has come out at any time in the last checks watch seven years. Now, I'll be the first to admit that this particular Trump, what about what Biden did allegedly, reportedly, apparently, according to sources? This is a very, very heavy lift for anybody. But there is only one part you really have to sell to the Republican rubes, that these alleged Biden tapes actually exist. You don't have to play them. You don't have to show a machine that they're on. You don't have to show a document. Just convince them. They're ready to be convinced. And sure enough, Jamie Comer went on Newsmax yesterday and he was asked the question about this three times. And each time he gave an answer worse than the previous one. And the end result basically was Jamie Comer admitting, are these Biden tapes for real? I have no frickin' clue. When will you be able to confirm if these recordings are legit? How long is that gonna take? Well, I can confirm that the recordings were in the 1023. Remember, I was with Senator Grassley when we saw the unredacted version. Okay, so because Grassley was saying alleged yesterday, so these recordings are legit. You can confirm they are legitimate. Well, they, they were, I can confirm they were listed in the 1023 that the FBI redacted. I we see. don't know if they're legit or not, but we know that the foreign national claims he has them. Okay, so when can you confirm that they're legit? Because if they're legit, I, 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 I never looked into it. This is the problem. Oh, boy. 
Not enough laughs. Let's close with a few more. Hadn't seen this till last night. Maybe you have. The Trump boxes in the toilet shot, but with a new meme kind of caption. Bed, bath, and beyond a reasonable doubt. The 27-year-old press aide Trump took with him from the White House, Margot Martin. Not Margot Martindale. My fellow performer on BoJack Horseman, Margot Martin. She showed up at the courthouse yesterday and was misidentified as Melania. Misidentified on Fox News. And best of all, as Trump posted before, during, and after the hearing yesterday, he screwed something up so badly that I am genuinely amazed it did not overshadow the entire arraignment. It's another attack on Jack Smith. Quote, this is the thug overturned consistently and unanimously in big cases. He's a radical right lunatic and Trump hater, as are all his friends and fem... Wait, what? He's a radical right lunatic and Trump hater. And so we end where we began. Are these first 13 key Republicans to turn on Trump also the last 13 key Republicans to turn on Trump, or are they just the first wave? Dr. Freud would look at that post and suggest the latter because based on what Trump wrote, Trump seems to think he's now being prosecuted by the radical right. Also of interest here, Senator Coach Pinhead Tommy the Tuba Tuberville is blocking unanimous consent for military promotions because somebody taught him the word woke. But Tommy the Tuba wanted to be at Bedminster with Trump last night, so he missed a vital vote in the Senate. So somebody else suggested to Dick Durbin, who's in the Democratic Party, if you didn't know. Now's the time, isn't it, to go for unanimous consent on all those military promotions? Because Tuberville isn't here, and Durbin shook his head gravely. And he said, Durbin actually said, that's next. This is Countdown. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to season nine of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question is going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. <laughs> but it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. A 
Postscripts to the news. Some headlines, some updates, some snarks, some predictions. Dateline the Capitol. If your brains did not fall out your head over the kid gloves treatment of Trump, wait till you hear about Dick Durbin. The world's dumbest senator, Tommy Tuberville, was supposed to show up to vote against nominee Jared Bernstein to become chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. So as to force the vice president to cast a tie-breaking vote, instead Tuberville went to New Jersey for a photo op with the defendant, spoiling Mitch McConnell's mischief. It was posited to Senator Durbin that with Tuberville out chasing Trump, this would be the time to pass all those military promotions that Tuberville has been blocking because he's a grandstanding idiot and nobody knows if his head is inflated or stuffed. Durbin's reply, that would be, quote, tempting, but, quote, one of the unwritten rules of the place is you don't take advantage of a person's absence. Senator Durbin, have you met Senator Feinstein? Wait, it's worse. Almost as Durbin was surrendering to Republicans who hadn't even tried to force him to do so. Almost at that exact moment, J.D. Vance, the Republican senator representing Book Tour Nation, announced he will be putting a hold on all Biden nominees to the Justice Department to pay the Justice Department back for the prosecution of the traitor Trump, which means, in effect, Dick Durbin, Democratic Party, is an accessory to these Republican stunts. And I think now the time has come that he needs to resign his leadership roles in the Senate. And hell, while we're at it, resign your seat, Senator. This is no longer the game you are playing. You are wringing your hands and hoping they'll be nice to you while the Republicans are throwing America off the top of the Capitol dome. You have the majority, Senator. Kindly crush the Republicans with it or turn that majority over to someone who will. Faust, Dateline Hollywood. Pat Sajak says he is retiring after the upcoming 41st season of the Wheel of Fortune game show. Good. He's a schmuck. There are lots of TV performers who are schmucks. Maybe a majority. Sajak, though, is a lazy, intellectually constipated schmuck. 34 years ago, CBS actually decided that he was the right choice to host a late-night talk show to go up against Johnny Carson on NBC. The CBS thought was, no, he's not very good, and you know, he's not going to do very well in the ratings. But Carson is going to retire soon in a couple of years, and by then, Sajak will be the familiar face in late night, and he'll do well against whoever succeeds Johnny Carson. Well, Carson did indeed retire just three years later, but by that point, Sajak's CBS show had been dead for two years and a month because it never reached half of Carson's ratings, and also for internal reasons that don't get talked a lot about when they talk about what a great TV legend Pat Sajak is spinning that stupid wheel and not succeeding at all in the primetime version. I was the local sportscaster for CBS in L.A. in that exact time frame. Twice I was a guest on Pat Sajak's CBS show, The Pat Sajak Show. We even did this bit where I did my sportscast live from outside his studio and came on as a guest on his show, and he came on and was a guest on my show, only we were saying he was coming from the future to the past because we were live at 5.30 while his show didn't go on until tape till 11.30. Anyway, the second time I did the show, I got there around 3 o'clock for a 5 p.m. taping, and I wanted to say hello to Pat. The producer told me I should check back in an hour or so because Sajak had started only showing up in time for makeup. He also said the CBS executive in charge of late night was waiting in my dressing room, and I assumed he was joking, and then I went into my dressing room, and there he was. Hey, he said, have you ever thought about hosting something like this? And I laughed, and I said no, thinking he was still joking, but I would happy to give it a try. And he said, how about next month? We're going to get rid of this idiot. Instead, CBS just shut the whole thing down 15 months after it launched. It later proved that Sajak was such an arch-conservative, and sometime in the last 15 years he started apologizing for being the person who put me on national television and thus made my career. I had to point out that I had started on national television in 1981, a year before he had, that I had spent four years on CNN every day. I also had to point out that whatever he thought had happened due to my appearances on his CBS show— since nobody watched it, helping my career was not one of them. 
In Los Angeles, our CBS 11 o'clock news was in last place in the ratings, but it still got more viewers than the program that followed it, which was, of course, called The Pat Sajak Show. Still ahead on Countdown. Boy, that was a long time before the president of a network I worked for chased me around the studio threatening to kill me, and I thought I was going to have to call the cops or hit him in the head with my fists. Boy, is that a story. I'll tell it to you next. First, the daily roundup of the miscreants, morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's worst persons in the world. The bronze, the fine folks over to Fox, quote, news, unquote, for 120 weeks in a row, they have won the primetime battle for the most viewers over CNN and MSNBC and Newsmax and Nick at Night News Nation. Last week, they averaged 1,504,000 viewers per minute in primetime, while MSNBC averaged 1,520,000 viewers per minute in primetime. So Fox is officially number two behind number one MSNBC in primetime. And all I can say is, you're welcome! The runner-up presidential candidate Vivek, no, I don't think I'm embarrassing myself. Why do you ask Ramaswamy? He went to the courthouse in Miami yesterday dressed in a T-shirt and a baseball cap, and the baseball cap read T-R-U-T-H. He's subtle. He said he had written to every other candidate in both parties, quote, demanding that they sign his letter promising to pardon Trump. On top of that, he mispronounced the name of the North Dakota governor and GOP wannabe Doug Burgum as Doug Bugram. Congratulations, Governor Bugram, on your new name. So I'm trying to understand this. This guy, Ramaswamy, is a success in business? But our winner is Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana. Cassidy posted a walking selfie, which he himself has called Outrage of the Week. Quote, the White House gift shop is putting out a commemorative coin for Donald Trump's indictment. You got to admit it's poor taste that it's capitalizing upon something without his permission, I'm sure. It's the wrong thing to do. Have a sense of decency, White House gift shop, unquote. Senator Cassidy has been in Washington since 2009 as a congressman and then a senator, and apparently only yesterday did he learn that the White House gift shop is unaffiliated with the White House. It is a private retail company that sells crap like a 2020 Trump beats COVID coin online mostly, and it does everything to make the stupid people out there think it is some kind of branch of the government. Frighteningly, Senator Cassidy is also a physician. He's a liver specialist, and he thus fulfills George Carlin's timeless observation that just by process of elimination, somewhere there must be the worst doctor in the world. My late friend, I have your winner. Dr. Senator Cassidy, who also really struggled in that video with pronouncing that word commemorating. So, physician, heal thyself. Today's worst person in the world! At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024. And we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you on our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now Lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations 
Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question. I promise you have to go. I have to go. <laughs> but it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. This month, we're bringing you the stories of disappearing acts. There's the 17th century fraudster who convinced men she was a German princess. The 1950s folk singer who literally drove off into the sunset and was never heard from again. The First Nations activist whose kidnapping and murder ignited decades of discourse about indigenous women's disappearances. And the young daughter of a Russian czar whose legendary escape led to even more intrigue and speculation. These stories make us consider what it means to disappear and why a woman might even want to make herself scarce. Listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just ahead, based on my reputation, you would think that every one of my bosses was driven so nuts that they would eventually try to kill me. <laughs> nah, it's just the one guy. His story next. First, in each edition of Countdown, we feature a dog in need. You can help. Every dog has its day. Back to the New York Pound. Things are out of control. 294 dogs, they say, in a shelter designed to hold 168. Before the pandemic, a dozen dogs on their twice-weekly pre-kill list would have been a lot. Right now, it's 32, including Simba, who's a 48-pound puppy who's just 54 weeks old, loves people, loves kids, loves dogs, unsure around strangers, but he warms up quickly. Dumped, quote, due to not having time to care for him. He's exuberant. He's a lot of dog. He still needs to be fixed, but there isn't one reason he should be killed. We need pledges to defray the cost of a rescue to come in and save him and train him and get him to a family that will not leave him to die in the pound when it's at maximum overcrowding. Look for Simba on my Twitter feed. Your retweets will also help. I thank you, and Simba thanks you. Finally, our number one story in the countdown, things I promised not to tell, and back to my favorite topic, me. How exactly was I supposed to tell the police that the man threatening to kill me was the president of MSNBC? He was chasing me through the studios. He was too overweight to run. But even though he inexplicably lied and said he was six foot seven, at six foot five, this guy, his name was Rick Kaplan, and he was the soon to be ex president of MSNBC, just as he was already the ex president of CNN, he still had strides as long as my own. Plus, on that night of August 8th, 2005, I was multitasking. I was trying to mentally record everything he was shouting while also drawing him away from the live microphones of the live studio in which he had started shouting while also fishing for my office key so I could lock myself in there if need be while also figuring out how I would hit him if it came to that while also trying to register the superb double takes from my colleagues past whom he was stomping like an out of shape Frankenstein while also trying to suppress an overwhelming and seemingly inappropriate desire to burst into laughter while still game planning the soon-to-be inevitable call to the cops of beautiful downtown Secaucus, New Jersey. Uh, hi, yeah, yeah, he's, he's trying to kill me, my, my boss, the, the president of MSNBC. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the cable television network. Yeah, yeah, exact. Down the street from the London Fog Outlet store. Yep. One MSNBC Plaza. I know it's a dumb address. Uh, he's about 60, uh, 275, 280 pounds. By the way, he says he's six foot seven, but he's only six foot five. Why? Why does he lie about his height or why is he trying to kill? Uh, right. Well, I did a commentary urging the viewers to stop smoking and he's afraid of the mention of blood. Hello? Hello? 
As all of this played out in my head, President Kaplan was huffing and puffing his way through our giant studio, weaving through the news assignment area, past the makeup room, down the hallways nearing the offices of my show Countdown, and past the bank of a couple of hundred television monitors with a different face on every one of them, each seemingly staring slack-jawed at the executive screaming threats at the only guy on his own network who got any ratings. I'll pay you back. <laughs> I'll get you. I'll finish you. I'll kill you. This had all begun roughly 10 days earlier, in late July 2005. An oral surgeon who had intended to examine a growth on the roof of my mouth had instead, with one pale look, silently betrayed his suspicion that it was cancerous, and he cut the whole thing out. I was on my way to work anyway, it was too late to get a replacement, and I was bleeding so much that our technical director and I decided to pre-record all of my on-camera segments for that night's show, thus reducing the chances of viewers hearing me say, President Bush today, while blood oozed out of my mouth, over my teeth and lips, and onto the desk, like I was Draculanker. When... The following Wednesday, I got the unexpected all clear from the surgeon's office. I decided to devote some of each night's newscast to a campaign to help viewers and myself quit smoking. My premise was a simple one that I had never heard argued before and have rarely heard argued since, that it would be a lot easier to quit if you didn't have cancer than if you did have cancer. I pitched my producers on the series. I went into Rick Kaplan's office to get his seal of approval. He was enthusiastic and supportive, and most rare of all, he was paying attention. And then I said I was also going to point out that if you got the good outcome like I had, they would merely stick a laser in your mouth and you'd smell your own flesh burning for like 48 hours, and you'd have to keep spitting out your own blood. Don't say that! He suddenly threw his meaty hands out towards me in a strangling gesture and then just as quickly clamped them over his own ears and closed his eyes and began actually screaming, No, 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 no. I thought he had gone crazy. As it proved, he was just practicing for going crazy later. I'm sorry, I'm squeamish. I get the point. I just can't handle references to, you know, uh, the red stuff. Go ahead with the series. Just just tone down the, uh, the red stuff. I toned down the red stuff, and my executive producer, Izzy Povich, sent him the scripts, and he told her to tone down the red stuff a little more, and I went and I did that, too. We all decided to start the anti-smoking series the following Monday, August 8th, 2005, by nauseating coincidence, that was the day after the ABC anchorman Peter Jennings had died of lung cancer. The MSNBC president had been a producer on Jennings' newscast. I had long since written and recorded Jennings' obituary, and now the somewhat cold but still journalistically valid segue would have to be made. We would have to go directly from the 12-minute-long Jennings obit to the start of our anti-tobacco campaign. Eight or nine minutes into that pre-recorded Jennings obituary, Rick Kaplan came out of his office and walked the 50 feet or so through the vast open newsroom to where my anchor desk was. His eyes were full of tears. This is wonderful, he said quietly. Peter would have liked this. He gave me a thumbs up. Then he walked to a second desk another 50 feet away where his first big hire, a woman named Rita Cosby, was about to premiere his first big gamble, her new show, immediately following mine. I was actually moved by Rick Kaplan's comment. I did not once think of phoning the Secaucus police. But then I began the anti-smoking segment, and as I focused on the camera and the teleprompter in front of me and detailed the blood and the gore and the spitting and how that was the good outcome, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this weird sight. The president again left his office and waddled out along the wall 30 feet ahead of me in the general direction of the control rooms. Within moments, as I continued to read my script, he was back in the studio and standing right next to my camera, gesticulating wildly. I said, they never say it, but wouldn't it be really easier to quit smoking when you didn't have cancer than when you did? And Kaplan responded with the same two-handed choking gesture he had made briefly in his office much earlier. I presumed there was some simple problem, like that the building was on fire, 
but I calculated that I could still make it to the show's scheduled finish time, 8.59.59 EDT, and still survive even if others perished. That's Countdown for this, the 830th day since the Declaration of Mission Accomplished in Iraq. I'm Keith Olbermann. Good night and good luck. You son of a... Rick Kaplan suddenly screamed. From the other anchor desk, I could hear, and this is my impression of her, Good evening, I'm Rita Cosby. This is Rita Cosby, live and direct with Rita Cosby, and I'm Rita Cosby. She was not a big woman, but she had a voice on her like the horn on the Staten Island Ferry, if it had a cold. You are over the top! You are disgusting! My first thought was that Kaplan had forgotten that microphones 50 feet away were live during the premiere of his pet project. Shh, Rita is on. I actually whispered to him, silly me. I don't give a half if Rita is on. You were told by Izzy Povich that the piece was over the top and you needed to cut it, and you didn't. I still couldn't bring myself to yell back we're in a live studio. I did cut it, and Izzy read it and approved it, and she said you had too. And, and, and Rita's premiere is going on over there in that sort of direction. Maybe you should yell at me closer to the assignment desk, maybe? I don't give a crap. If Izzy approved it, then she's an ass. And I can't trust her. I can't trust you. You're all idiots. I can't believe you did this to me. I'm trying to get Rita's show off the ground, and you start talking about spitting blood into a garbage can. Well, now I was getting angry. I couldn't resist. Yes, Rita is, in fact, live and direct from that desk right over there. And if you'll notice, she keeps looking over here at us, wondering why you are yelling during the first minutes of her first show. So why don't we move over here, Rick? I began to move away from him. And we're walking away from the live mics. And, and we're walking. And we're walking. And Rick and Keith are walking because the noise isn't really professional. Well, we're not talking professionals, are we? We're talking idiots. We were walking, and he was still screaming. You're idiots. I will never trust you again. He had begun to trot or stumble or whatever he was doing. This is not over. I will pay you back, self-serving garbage. I will get you, and I'll get that a-hole Izzy for not staying here and reading that script. How many times did you intend to say spit blood into a garbage can before I stopped you? I now realized what he thought had happened as he had gestured spasmodically at me while he stood next to my camera. I briefly let my focus shift to amazement at the fact that this guy who had been in TV news for 25 years knew almost nothing about how TV worked. I explained to him that Izzy and one of her assistants and I had gone over the script several times and taken out half of the gorier references. Then they suck at television! And since I can't trust anybody here, since they won't stand up to you and edit the script since you obviously bullied them... He balled up his fist and stomped his foot on the floor as he called me a bully. I'm now going to have to approve every piece of your copy. By this point, I was backing into the countdown work area with its array of desks and all the producers Kaplan had just insulted. I knew one of them would dial the phone when I said, call the cops and call this lunatic's boss. Did you hear me? And if you don't like it and you don't want to come into work tomorrow, that's fine, too. I never did get that part. But now I had him. I crossed my arms in front of my chest slowly, like you have seen every news anchor do in every television news promo ever shown in the history of the world. I flashed as evil a slow-mo smile as I could. Oh, I'll be here tomorrow. And then I made a sweeping gesture back towards my staff, who were both, of course, literally and figuratively behind me. And so will all of them. Suddenly, at that point, for no apparent reason, Rick Kaplan's hysterics were replaced by mere confusion. He even stopped huffing. At almost normal volume, he asked me, All of who? Only at this point did I turn around to discover that my entire staff had already left the building. There was nobody there behind me. Of course there was nobody there. Izzy Povich told me later. He went into the control room and threatened all of them first. So we got on the phone back to the office to tell everybody to get the hell out of the building. She paused and laughed. I mean, we love you, but we're not crazy. Rick Kaplan's exorcism was a brief one. He began screaming again. I'm going to end your career tomorrow. I'm going to completely F you up. He turned and stumbled away from my office. Good luck sleeping tonight. I slept like a stone. 
and not because Kaplan had previously threatened to fire me for not leaving my father's bedside after what they thought was a heart attack to fly to L.A. to appear on The Tonight Show, and not because he'd once threatened to fire me because he didn't like my tie, and not because he had previously threatened to fire me for not doing something during live coverage that I had already done, but he thought we hadn't done because he was watching us not live, but on delay on his DVR, president of a network, and I slept beautifully, not because I correctly guessed this would be it for Rick Kaplan, and it was. The next day, human resources forced him to apologize to me, and 10 months later, his bosses fired him. Nor did I snooze blessedly because of any bravery or stoicism or fatalism on my part, but I slept well simply because of the realization that even after all of this, Rick Kaplan was still only the second or third craziest MSNBC executive I had ever worked for. I've done all the damage I can do here. Countdown has come to you from the Vin Scully studio at the world headquarters of the Elderman Broadcasting Empire in New York. Here are the credits. Most of the music was arranged, produced, and performed by Brian Ray and John Philip Chanel. They are the Countdown musical directors. All orchestration and keyboards by John Philip Chanel. Guitars, bass, and drums by Brian Ray, produced by TKO Brothers. Other Beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group No Horns Allowed. The sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2. It was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer was my friend Kenny Main. Everything else is pretty much my fault. So that's Countdown for this, the 890th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him again while we still can. Let's go for a streak. Let's do it every day, shall we? The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast host Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Amanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.